Welcome to the Hemp Barons Podcast, everyone. I'm host Joy Beckerman, and so glad that you're joining me today. We've got a real treat today with Daniel Cruz, who is founder and CEO of Hemp Pro International and Hemp Consult, uh, and is also the president of the board of directors of the European Industrial Hemp Association, a hemp pioneer and hero of basically epic proportions. And I see that we are going to have an election announcement made. I am recording this before that election announcement is made. And I think I I know I want to win. Of course, everyone who's voted knows who they want to win, but I don't know who's going to win. And so I want to take this opportunity to just share my heart with a message about unifying all of us in the United States and across the world, because no matter who wins, It's us together as members of our neighborhoods, members of our community, members of our states and of the United States that comprise what the United States really is about. And it comprises the heart of our country. And I have seen over and over again, overwhelmingly, and they don't make the news. What makes the news is the hate. What makes the news is sensationalism and special interests and uh, manipulation of the public psychology. But what is far more overwhelming are the incredible acts of compassion, of caring, of helping, of healing that take place in our United States, in every town, every day, in tremendous numbers, and they grow exponentially. The world is actually becoming a better place, a healthier place, even as the television screen shows us division and hatred and amplifies and sensationalizes the very worst among us, the darkest parts among us, who in my own heart can only believe that there are people who are, and I'm not trained in this, guys. I have no psychiatry training at all, so keep that in mind. But I think that people who are filled with hate or who have these biases against other humans with the same red blood flowing through their veins and the same heart within their chest that the hater has, when they hold those folks as lesser humans because of a trait of any kind, whether it's a race, a color, a religion, a sexual orientation, uh, any of those things, I feel like that is a form of mental illness. Again, I don't have any training in that, guys, and I don't want to offend anybody, but in my own heart, the only way that I can even begin to understand that level of harmful ignorance is that the person must suffer, unfortunately, from some form of mental illness. So with that, I want to say that I believe in us. I believe in humanity. I believe in people, and I certainly believe in my fellow citizens in the United States of America. So no matter who wins, guys, we must recognize that we are in charge of our neighborhoods. We are in charge of the people who live to the left and to the right of us. We are in charge of what's going on in our public schools and whether or not there are hungry children there. We're in charge of our communities and making them a better place. There is no magical God or no magical government that is going to come in and take us by the hand and train us how to simply care for our neighbors and make sure that the needs of people who have less than we do, who are less fortunate than us, to make sure that those needs are met. 
That is what it means to be an American. And there's one thing I'm sure of, guys, no matter what happens here, that we're going to come together and the best of America is going to rise. And together, we will heal this nation and make it the greatest nation that it can be. It was actually never fantastically great. We're on our way there and we're on our way together. Thank you for listening, everybody. And stay healthy. Celebrate what's happening. Celebrate unity. Do the deed yourself. It is your own measurement of your own personal integrity that is going to get this done, making our country the best it can be. And we'll talk to you next week. Without further ado, here's the amazing Daniel Cruz. Well, welcome to Hemp Barons, Daniel Cruz. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you, Joy. It's always a pleasure to have you in real life and in the digital world. I have some of the most fun times and most memorable times with you and with the folks at the European Industrial Hemp Association. Of course, you hail from Germany, but you are an international epic uh, hemp pioneer and advocate um, and your work and the body of work that you have created so far and that you are in the midst of a journey on is really tremendous. And I'd like to start as we embark into that body of work. How did you discover hemp? When did hemp come into your life, Daniel? Um, it's a long story and I try to make it as short as possible, but um, I'm actually doing hemp now for uh, 26 years. Um, it was always uh, in, 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 I always had those feelings as a young man that I wanted to do something uh, to make the world a better place, but I didn't really have any idea how. So I was, I was, I was looking for the how. And um, then by, by chance, um, at that time, the first um, articles on industrial hemp um, came, came across um, some some magazine and I read that magazine and I just um, found for myself that this is the perfect successful combination of ecology and economy um, could provide everything that I was looking for um, because I, I strongly believe that we will definitely not change the world to a better place a more greener and uh, more sustainable economy if it if there is no success if there is no financial success we need we need we need employment uh, we, we need people that actually live from this um, from this work that they do and also if if the product itself the industry uh, the raw material does not have a certain industrial and economic success then no one will ever care for it there will be no companies asking for these products there will be no politicians taking care that the the, the uh, employment is, is saved that the regulation will be changed uh, i think if you look at the hemp industry today uh, on a world uh, wide perspective you can see actually that it is the moment that we achieved what we achieved in the last 25 years altogether all those hemp pioneers everywhere and of course the next generation uh, of of the hemp industry um, because we, we are having a voice now and there is success out there. Uh, I mean, for me, just to give you an example, completely unbelievable 25 years ago would have been if you would have told me that there are cannabis or industrial hemp companies listed as stock companies. 
but we already achieved that. I mean, of course, we know all the pitfalls and um, also, there are always some cowboys on the market and there always will be some uh, um, uh, decreases on the stock prices, etc. We all know that because it's, it belongs to the regular business life of all kind of sectors, of all industry sectors. But we will overcome those challenges and, and the industry will learn from the mistakes and we have to, well, of course, uh, uh, some, somehow overcome also the regulatory uh, issues that we are facing right now as an as a, as a industry worldwide. But from there, there will be this, the next big wave of success. And if we can prove to the regular, to the conventional economy that there is a place and there is success with a real, uh, sustainable greener economy, especially with the hemp industry, then those companies, those big players, Will, become, will be aware of what we are doing and they will start and that will bring the next step to our industry. Absolutely. And I often say, you know, 30 years ago, I, I started my journey into hemp in 1990, um, had a hemp store in New York by 1994. And we couldn't have visual. I visualized and I imagined really big what the future would hold, but you are so correct. Um, that I could never have thought so big as to see the world as it sits today, existing in multiple countries with, as you say, publicly traded companies, beautiful um, stores and, and littered across uh, the United States and, and throughout the world. It is, it's absolutely amazing. And also, as you say, the getting us to legalization, this last 30-year push, uh, finally brings us to a seat at the table. And now that we have a seat at the table, the real marathon begins, as you well know, and, and we're constantly working toward more sane laws, more sane regulation at the local, uh, estate, national, and international level. And, and I'm excited to address some international uh, efforts going on now. But before we do that, you have Hemp Pro International and Hemp Consult. Let's talk first about what Hemp Pro International offers in terms of products and uh, maybe some things you might be working on that you could let us peek under the hood for the future. Well, talking about Hemp Pro International brings us back to where I come from. Um, when I actually started in 1995, uh, about the same time as you, uh, which uh, makes me feel old i don't understand how you could start it earlier because you're still you're so young so Love you. that must I'm 50 i'm 50 i'll admit it <laughs> can't say that and can't see it for sure um so anyway um when 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 we started that time i i actually did a retail shop in old town of dusseldorf um so i, I come from the retail side before that i was a banker you know so actually uh, um, I, I was I was trained to work with numbers, but then um, I, I experienced that I need this know-how, and it always helped me to create the business and the back structure of, of the business. But um, being a retailer, I, I started to to talk to our uh, central office at that time, which was Hanf House, which means Hemp House in English, uh, which was located in Berlin. Um, I got involved in, in, in their work in the headquarters. I, 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 they, they asked me to come to Berlin to be head of sales. So I, I got really deeply involved in products, in, 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 the, in the range of products that we had at that time, which 
consisted basically from the beginning, as you probably had the same kind of range of products in the US, there was clothing, yeah, uh, which was a revolution to have a shirt and, and some jeans and jackets again made from hemp fibers. Um, we had those cosmetics based on hemp seed oil. The first food products came into the shelves, including, of course, all the food products derived from the seeds. We already had extracts, by the way. I'm, I'm, I'm a witness of that time. And this is something that comes in handy now uh, um, when, when we're talking about uh, this, this novel food um, discussion. Um, so we had those hemp extracts the first. We had the hemp tea uh, from, from the leaves. And um, of course, then we had a one fantastic, uh, um, and we still have that, a pure uh, accessory uh, and, and, and back um, line. Um, and, and from all these different kind of, of product ranges, uh, Hanfaus was the, the European distributor, the wholesaler, one, one of the first and the biggest company at that time. Unfortunately, due to a lot of, well, let's say, combination of maybe mismanagement, but also, of course, the challenges of the market itself and the growing company, Hanfaus had to declare bankruptcy. And with my, with my dear old friend, uh, Raphael, who is again doing hemp business, fortunately, and doing our Hanf farm, uh, hemp farm in, in uh, East Germany, in the eastern part of Germany, um, he was also working at Hanfaus at that time. And he was he was doing the the purchasing and, and especially the food production while I was on the on the sales side, and that fit together perfectly. And when Hanfaus had to declare bankruptcy, we we said okay, we got a lot of issues. We we have a we we learned from the problems. There there are certain things that did not work well, but hemp itself as a plant as a raw material is not is not the cause of the problem. Yeah, so we we actually started Hempro International in that moment and. Um, influenced by the Hanfaus range. For me, it was clear that I always want to show these products. I always want to show the magnificent possibilities that hemp shows. So I, I was not able to focus only on food, not only on clothing, not only on cosmetics, but somehow I always try to manage to have the best of the best of the products in those certain segments, in the certain pr uh, product ranges. Uh, of course, we always had to take care that we do not overextend our financial possibilities or our uh, um, our, our, our organizational uh, possibilities uh, by doing too many products in certain areas. Um, but still, as today, Hempro International offers clothing, offers the accessories, offers cosmetics, offers the food products, uh, the ready-to-eat consumer brands, and then the biggest um, business of Hempro is basically the, the raw material production of seed and leaf-derived products. Uh, this we are doing since 15 years, and in Central Europe, we are the biggest uh, food processor. Um, meanwhile, you already already uh, um, stated Hemp Consult. I come back to that later. But meanwhile, we got our own factory. We actually also called it Hemp Factory, which is doing those seed-derived products. And, and if I could just ask for a moment, so you're doing your dehauling seeds, cold pressing oil, milling seed cake. Exactly, exactly. All those products that Canada and US became really big about in the last 
20 years, let's say. And I, I have to admit, you know, I, I learned a lot from my Canadian uh, friends and partners. We uh, all have. So um, they, they, they are still a couple of years ahead of us. Yeah? Uh, I have no problem to admit that and to and actually to follow uh, in, in their, on their path uh, because with their experience and with their overall um, with their overall, not only experience, but also volumes that they are doing and with um, with the market penetration that they already showed. Of course, for us, it's easier in Europe to explain people and of course, also, especially the big food uh, uh, companies, the big food customers, um, how successful this product can be also in Europe in the next time. Absolutely. And, and and I am proud to be part owner of Colorado Hemp Works, which is our first U.S. post-prohibition seed grain processing facility. And yeah, when, when we've got the supply, those oil presses are running seven days a week, 24 hours a day. And so much thanks goes to, of course, the folks in Canada who, although Jeff Kostick and Gary Meyer of Hemp Production Services, you know, they're always like, we're happy to share. We're not going to tell you everything, but we're happy to share. And they're so wonderful. And so you've obviously, and I'm sure you, Sean Crew of Hemp Oil Canada, well, you know everybody around the world. Yeah. Well, those are the guys we started out with at the same time. And uh, they focused on the food, while at the same time, we always tried our best to keep those other uh, uh, part of our assortment of our uh, product range alive and for uh, and, and and fill it um uh, with the with the best possible quality so we, we didn't even have the chance to focus too much on the food all the time and also it it took us more years and it still it still drags on with the thc regulation that we have in europe yeah i mean you you, you can just name it if you have a good reliable and um also sound scientific regulation on Let's say only my just to just to name this one topic is it's THC in food. Uh, Canadians had the best the best situation at all because Health Canada, although they are also uh, caring about the safety of the consumer, they came up with a 10 ppm for all the raw materials and that's it. And that was easy, of course, a big advantage for the industry because that is something you can work with. That is something you can achieve. That's it's reliable, and you can also, as a producer, control your own product. While in Europe we have this problem that there is only a recommended guidance values. They are old. They are outdated. They are not scientific at all. They are far below the 10 ppm, and they are always they are always um, regarding the final product. But what is the final product? Are, what somebody could eat the the, the dehull seeds, yeah, the hemp seed oil. We got five ppm as a recommended guidance value. It's it's not always achievable, yeah. And we we all know that in the hemp market, if we right now AHA, and we will of course uh, sure talk about AHA a little bit later on. So the European um, Industrial Hemp Association, we did a great job. I have to uh, tell you this uh, in, in this way um, by doing con contribution on on THC in food. Uh, just recently, two, two, two weeks ago, thanks to our friend and expert and um, chemist, uh, Dr. Bernard Beitzke, 
and uh, of course my my small contribution trade we put up a paper together for lorenza and lorenza sent it in time to the commission because thc in food the limits the max max values the max levels whatever they want to achieve whether it's guidance value or limits is on the table now but that's like 15 20 25 years after the market started and it's based definitely 20 years after the canadian health authority yeah health canada already established the 10 ppm now it's on the table in europe and they even want to have max levels below that so we are telling them hey guys first of all the calculations are wrong that you are showing us and we are trying to tell them that since years if not decades and secondly we are pointing out to the canadians and say hey there is a there is a health authority in this world and they already figured this out a long time ago so why you are coming up with lower levels now nobody ever died or had any serious or not even any any small harm from digesting from eating ham food nowhere and I am constantly singing this 10 ppm song and I always juxtapose it with listen Europe is going for 5 ppm and we are absolutely not going to settle for that when we don't see any potential for intoxication or harm at 10 ppm and how it continues to come up as you well know I'm preaching to the choir at this point but the 0.3% Delta 9 THC on a dry weight basis, which is rearing its ugly head right now here in the United States with the DEA's new interim final rule. But, but the bottom line is it's not an intelligent way to discuss uh, con contaminants or um, safe levels as in terms of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration as well, and they are already, we have it in writing on one of their websites, they are referring to THC as a contaminant. And if that's the way they're going to treat it, then they're going to have to treat it like all the other contaminants and there will be a PPM level. And this is a very important conversation. Yeah, it is. And we are actually even adding something to this argumentation uh, because it's not only uh, to be considered a contaminant, uh, because at least in Europe, uh, by definition, a contaminant is something that comes during the process from the farm to the shelf on the product, yeah, like by mistake or by uh, some kind of uh, malfunction. Yeah? But the THC itself is part of the plant, so it's inherent, yeah? and it's, it's it it belongs to the plant itself, not only by the, let's call it, contamination between the flower and the outer shell of the seed. But there are studies out there that show that even inside the seed, in the kernel, where the young hemp plant will sprout, there is also cannabinoids, yeah, because the plant wants to protect its newborn, yeah, uh, as a mother would do it. Yeah? So it belongs to the plant. So it's not so easy by the authorities to call it a contaminant. Um, no, they, they they can do it if they want. If they give us the right uh, levels that we can work with, then then I don't care for what, they, what what kind of name they they call it. But they should also understand that it's an inherent con uh, constituent of the plant. It belongs to this kind of plant. In, in no, those absolutely, days, as opposed to mercury. So, for example, the fish oil industry they have to they have to render that mercury inert or pesticides. Those are all contaminants. But you're absolutely right; they came in from outside of the plant, and and it it breaks my heart to even 
begin to categorize any cannabinoid as a contaminant. We'll we'll see as as these as this regulatory you know framework emerges, and as we know, whatever it is that we start out at, with. We're going to continue to work every year for more sane laws, more sane regulation. As long as it takes, it could be 100 years. <laughs> I hope not. I, I hope not, too. I, w- I, would still like to, I would still like to experience the, the moment in time that everything is regulated in a sound scientific, constructive, reasonable way that our industry loses the stigma uh, of uh, doing anything harmful to the consumer. And that brings me to the answer to, to back to answering your question. So coming from Ampro International with this uh, range of products, um, about 10 years ago, uh, we noticed that there are there was the first let's call it the first kind of wave of interest uh, that people from all around the world not only ask the Canadians, not only um, ask. Um, somewhere but also came to europe came to germany and asked how how do you do this uh, where could i get this and whatever so we we figured that uh, it is time to have a consulting uh, company something that of course we can we can not only for billing our hours which which actually we need because we cannot spend our time of explaining people how it how it works without getting some financial uh, uh, um, uh, benefit from it. Uh, otherwise, we would lose the time for doing our own production and uh, processes. But um, also because we had the special product, uh, hemp extracts. Uh, I was I was in the lucky situation that uh, a couple of years, very short time before the CBD and hemp extract market itself was created in the US. Um, we already did some tests on not only having the leaves for the tea, but also having the leaves or even flowers for some extraction and try this and try that. And we're able to yeah, supply it right away when, when, when the first big players in the US needed the product, especially the market leader, which was our exclusive uh, customer at that time. And um, so that got us, that, that, that proved that we need for this special product as also for special consultations or special requests and uh, and consulting we needed a consulting company so that's why we founded hemp consult meanwhile from those two companies we we figured that we want to prove that next to some exports and next to uh, nice products that we can do we also want to show that there is a supply chain and that's why hunt farm came into the place Uh, I asked Raphael to get back into the hemp industry because he left the hemp industry for about 10 years uh, in favor of his family with his wife and four kids. So <laughs> we have a lot of those stories. Yeah. But then I reactivated him and uh, he was very happy to start hemp farming in a very professional, uh, big scale way. Um, and from the farm, we needed the factory for processing. So then hemp factory came uh, on the table. Uh, so we started that company, and uh, also at that time we understood that okay, there will be a way of treating extracts, tinctures, or whatever as food supplement, uh, as a raw material for cosmetics. Uh, of course, as you know, we are still fighting for the legal framework and the right standards and the right regulations. But we understood that there will be definitely, which was one of the 
things that I could have never imagined or actually just dreamed about when I was uh, uh, 26 years younger, that there will be cannabis as medicine. So additionally to all those industrial hemp product processes and supply chain management, we started a company uh, called MH Medical Hemp, which is there to supply the cannabis pa patient uh, with a high percentage THC. A lot of people talk about it. Of course, there's the Canadian uh, cannabis industry. Of course, there will be one in the US. In Europe, there is one. Or, uh, let's put it this way. A lot of people talk about the cannabis industry in Europe, although it's not really there. It's a, it's a very, very stony path to go uh, when it comes to the regulations and when it comes to the actual business from it. We are doing it for five years. We are, Of course, we are selling a lot of CBD. We are selling a lot of supplement and cosmetics. But to be totally honest, we haven't sold one gram of medical cannabis. Yeah? Although we are doing the paperwork since now at least three and a half, four years. Yeah? Positioning, positioning for it. Positioning for it and really investing time and money just to get the paperwork ready with authorities. The internal paperwork, all for GMP Pharma is already yes. since two years, but it's all the paperwork with authorities to actually get it going. Uh, um, but anyway, I mean, based on this, based on these five uh, companies, at least four of the five companies, we will form a holding next year. It will be called hempholding.eu and all these, all these companies will be part of the holding. And of course, we also want to prepare for the next wave of interest uh, by investors. Uh, we are already starting to plan very conservative, very German, very disciplined, uh, an IPO. It might be our own IPO. It might be uh, some kind of investor uh, package uh, deal, whatever comes the, down down the road. But we want to prepare. We want to be prepared for the next big, even bigger wave of interest that will come surely in the next two or three years. I mean, Daniel, just thank you. Talk about chopping the wood and carrying the water and really building the infrastructure in every way. And I'm so thrilled to hear, of course, that you are positioning yourself in here in the United States. Folks are rushing uh, to catch up with, of course, GMP good manufacturing practices requirements, which require SOP, standard operating procedures for absolutely every step of the way. And it's going to be a, a wide awakening I think to uh, to many folks here in the United States um, who somehow have gotten the idea that since we don't have a specific a CBD or hemp derived cannabinoid specific regulatory framework that they are somehow uh, not obligated to follow the existing laws for those engaged in the manufacture of dietary supplements, food and cosmetics. And indeed, they are um, so just wonderful uh, that you are going to be able to touch all forms um, of the plant with your with your caring, regenerative, sustainable, socially and corporate responsible hands and heart and mind. Um, and that brings me to the International Hemp Federation or International Hemp Coalition. Um, I know that the, the name's changing a little bit, but we had that wonderful sort of inaugural meeting in Calgary last year in November at the Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance Conference. Um, and we were all together in that room, Germany, Holland, China, New Zealand, um, and India. And uh, I believe Rohit was there. You'll have to remind me if he wasn't. And of course, um, United States. And I know that that is evolving. Let's talk a little bit about that vision and, and where we're at. Yeah, um, 
you are completely right. Uh, it was a great meeting. It was a great coming together, um, a starting point. And I think we are on the right way uh, for, for my own personal schedule. And I'm sure that you will uh, be on the same page. And I know that Ted from CHDA can't wait to actually now get everything uh, on the table and let, uh, make it concrete. Uh, we should we should definitely focus on 2021 um, to get the name uh, uh, um, decided to get everything set up. Uh, right now, the the internal talks are just, uh, of course, on on the whiteboard. But uh, uh, the H the EIHA we can supply or so bring the bring it on the table uh, an office a, a office structure in Brussels. And I think politically, it is a nice place to start out. Uh, it could be New York later on. It could be somewhere in the world. Yeah, but uh, politically, I think it makes sense to start from from the from the middle, from the center of Europe. And um, Ted, and of course you and the others, we will bring so much experience and so much network uh, from all around the world. Uh, actually, we got everything set up in our minds and in our hearts, anyway. And it doesn't, it doesn't really cost that much time now to get it started. The problem is that due to the regulatory issues that we have, that you focus on in the US and that we focus on in Europe, not only the THC in food issue, but then CBD in other food. But not even that, because we already got that covered by the consortium of AHA. Yeah, it will take time, it will cost money, but the plan and the strategy is there. But now, in the middle of the summer, the EU Commission comes up with single convention. I mean, I can't believe it, but it's on the table. And and they actually uh, now uh, consider, might consider as a preliminary conclusion uh, that industrial hemp could um, fall under the scope of the single convention, which, I mean, between us is completely bullshit. Um, if you read the preamble, and the preamble is by definition the the, by legal definition, the ghost, the meaning of each and every contract, if you read the preamble, it is talking about narcotics and it's talking about illicit production and illicit trafficking. Uh, but industrial hemp is neither narcotic nor is there anything illicit about it. So even after the short preamble, which is only half a page, you can actually get this document and put it in the dustbin or in the drawer because it's not, it has nothing to do with our industry. But of course, those bureaucrats, being maybe influenced by other industries or maybe not influenced, we don't know. At least right now, they don't know how to deal with it exactly. We had very good talks with the EU Commission already, Lorenza and me, uh, as an association. And um, these talks showed me that they actually want to have a solution. They, they are actually begging uh, for help to guide them the way how to overcome this discussion to a practical solution for the industry. Um, the, the, my, my favorite quote from this um, teleconference is the lines are open. Yeah? I mean, it's always nice if officials tell you that the lines are open. Um, so um, we will take it from there and we will also definitely overcome this obstacle or this challenge. And um, and, and from there, everything is, 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 is open, but because for, for our industry, but because of that, because it's so time consuming and because we got so many papers to read and to write and this all this communication, we did not have the time during this summer 
and there will be no time until the end of the year to actually do the little bit of administrative steps to form this international association. By the way, I, I think we, my personal opinion is it's called, it should be called federation because we got already so many national associations and a federation gives it a, a, a little bit of a new, nice sounding uh, uh, wording. And I also know from Lorenza that, they, that the wine industry or other big industries often call the international umbrella a federation, which covers all the associations from all around the world. And we, we have to check for the right website. We have to check for the right short form. Then the big, the big decision will be, is it on hemp? Is it industrial hemp by definition, or is it industrial hemp and cannabis? Uh, so this is what we have to come together with. Uh, things can change. We can start as hemp and we can take cannabis on later on, but we should think about it. We should discuss, we should brainstorm. From my side, I'm very positive and I will have another meeting this week with Lorenzo inter alia on this topic. I will definitely have more emails and chats with uh, Ted during the next weeks. Um, I think we will be prepared to have a first-to-go structure in the first quarter of next year. Because I honestly, I believe that the whole industry worldwide needs this kind of signal. And the industry, including or not including the cannabis, and I I'm, I'm personally think it should be including the cannabis as a whole very soon, if not in the beginning, very soon. Um, we need to sit on the table with WHO. We need to sit on the table with the UN. Yeah? We, we would be so much stronger and so much more efficient if we talk with these organizations face-to-face -face than if we have to go through the national authorities that do not understand everything that already happened by WHO and by the UN. Absolutely. And we, I did a, a three-part series on, and, and so the listeners know when we're talking about the convention here, we're talking about the 1961 single convention on narcotics through the United Nations. It's a treaty that many, many countries have signed on to. Um, basically, it's the Controlled Substances Act of the planet uh, for those that have uh, signed on. Um, and industrial hemp is certainly not within that scope, yet it is constantly being being placed there. So we did a three-part series with, with Kenzie um, and Michael Kravitz. And in, in terms of this, and, and also for the listeners to know, when we talk about the EU Commission, we're talking about the European Commission here and how they are dealing with um, categorizing hemp-derived cannabidiol uh, as a narcotic, just absolutely outrageous. Now, with regard to this position of, of this archaic, way non-scientific position that is being threatened at the global level, um, and by the way, for the listeners, Brussels being much closer to Geneva and Vienna, where these World Health Organization um, Expert Commission on Drug Dependency uh, con convergences take place, um, you know, Michael said this is most likely that will just backfire. It's almost like, as to quote Michael Kravitz, playing into our hands that they're that they're wanting to go backwards here. Yeah, I mean, you you can you can uh, you can have my my most favorite quote that I'm using right now. In the 1970s, the EEC Council, which is now the European Commission, basically in our days, finally recognized industrial hemp as a crop, and even subsidized its cultivation by tax money. 
1997, the EU Commission confirmed that food from any part of the hemp plant was not novel. In your vice president, your vice president, Catherine Wilson, just explained all of this to us. I mean, it is really, it's the, the dying voices of dinosaurs is kind of the way I, I describe this concept when it rears its head. And it's unbelievable that now, 20, 25 years later, as you said, those dinosaur bones get digged out and somebody tells us, hey, it's all other way around. The earth is still flat. I mean, this comes basically to, a, to, the, same, <laughs> to the same situation. And the position statement, of course, that uh, was put forth by AHA and a whole coalition, and I certainly understand that. I also understand that the European Industrial Hemp Association absolutely took the lion's share of the laboring ore, and what an accomplishment. And I know that that was just recently submitted. It was uh, it was the perfect time, yeah. Um, I, I, fortunately, I had enough time in the last years to to dig into the topic of single convention. Uh, because it came across my, my, my path in the industry several times. So I was prepared already for this topic in case it comes up. And Lorenza is uh, very clever and very fast in learning. And uh, already two years ago, she understood very well what are going to be our challenges, maybe or certainly. Uh, the single convention actually was on my maybe list because I didn't really actually think that somebody would come up with this topic seriously. but. They did. So we already had our position, AHA position in uh, 2019. And from there, together with our experts like Ken C, that, that you know, you know, and of course, Dr. Beiske again, et cetera, it was quite easy together with the international associations and of course, a lot of help from TED, from CHTA to create the common position for all associations. And now coming back to the umbrella. We need the federation to give it even a more a stronger voice. And as you said, to meet those authorities, those worldwide authorities like WHO and UN face to face directly where they are located. That yes. will make a difference. And that process alone, as I'm sure you know, can be a 12 to 18 to 24 month process, depending on when you put the application in to sort oh, yeah. of get that to get that charter. But well on our way and constantly working. So man, did AHA as usual do some outstanding work and continuing to do that in 2020. And I couldn't be more excited to get the International Hemp Federation underway. And I'm just so grateful for everyone's leadership in that respect. Um, AHA is just such a lightning rod for all of us um, in throughout the world in delivering on the promise of this plant. Daniel, before um, we go in our remaining time, is there any particular message that you want to make sure you send out or something I may not have asked you that you want to make sure the listeners know? As I figured before, you actually mentioned everything that is on the table right now. So uh, we, I don't think that we missed any particular or any uh, important uh, topic. Uh, you already summarized it perfectly. I think we are on the right way. Um, we are a professional industry everywhere in the world, uh, from China, Australia, all the way back to the US and Canada, including good old Europe. And uh, now it's up to us to overcome those three main obstacles, uh, THC and food everywhere in the world, including US and Europe, uh, where we can help each other a lot. Um, we, we have to 
stick to our plan to give the authorities what they want. If they call it novel food, well, let's let them call it novel food. Let's do our talk studies and we will prove them that the products are safe. That's easy. Uh, it takes money, it takes time, but we will accomplish it. And let's stick together to show all of the authorities in the world that we are not in the scope of the single convention and that industrial hemp has nothing to do with the illicit narcotic product anywhere. Boy, you took my summary and wrapped it in a beautiful bow, brother, as you often do. Thank you so very much for being with us today, Daniel. Thank you for everything that you do for hemp, for all forms of cannabis in Europe, in Germany, throughout the world. And I can't wait to have you back again, brother. Stay healthy. And man, when we can gather safely again, what a big hug I'm going to give you. Thank you again for being with us on Hemp Barons. Well, thank you, Joy. Big hello to everyone in the world from Düsseldorf in Germany. Stay healthy, everyone. And uh, let's meet together in life in 2020 again. 2020. You better believe it. You better okay. believe it, brother. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, my name is Kira Reed, and I'd like to invite you to be inspired by the women who are leading in the cannabis industry. Each week, we will discuss empowerment, leadership, and what it means to be a woman in charge in marijuana, hemp, and CBD. As the founder of the Women Empowered in Cannabis community, I have had the great pleasure to get to know many brilliant and talented women who are CEOs, executives, politicians, advocates, and community leaders that are focused on creating a cannabis economy that is just, fair, and equal. We'll learn how these women make decisions, how they navigate a predominantly male industry, and what they're doing to level the playing field for women. I hope you'll join us.